Well, good afternoon and welcome to Milwaukee Mennonite Church. My name is Mark. I'm going to be leading our worship service today, which is going to take a somewhat different format than maybe some of our other services. There's going to be some some familiar parts, and then also the, instead of a reflection, we're going to be doing something slightly different um, that I'll be talking about right now. So I'm glad that you're all here today. I'm glad those of you who are on Zoom are, um, are, are participating as well. Um, if you heard the service, listen to the service um, that was recorded last Sunday, for last Sunday, um, we began our series, which is part of this Anabaptism at 500 series, sponsored by Menno Media. Um, which is part of helping to create or leading to a planned, quote-unquote, Anabaptist Bible um, in sync with the 500th anniversary of the symbolic start of the Anabaptist movement, which we'll be marking in two years, um, in 2025. Now today, we're going to be engaging with the first of five scriptural passages that were assigned to us by the editors of the Anabaptism at 500 project. Now, in place of a traditional reflection today, I'm going to be sharing some introductory remarks about the scripture for today, which is Deuteronomy chapter 29. And then I'm going to lead us in some small group and what I call all class <laughs> discussions about the passage, which will be guided by five questions. And um, you should all have or have access to a handout. So we've got the order of worship, and then we've got a handout, a double-sided handout. If you're lacking one, raise your hand, and I will bring it to you. Do you all have the handout? Chris, do you have a handout? The double slide, double, order of worship, and then also a handout? Okay, let me get you a handout. So um, that piece of paper is going to be fairly important. Um, it's going to be something that you can take notes on during the service. You're welcome uh, to leave the handout with me after today's service, or you can just bring it home with you and reflect on it some more. Um, I've created, as you may have seen in, if, uh, uh, in the emails this week, I created a shared Google document that also has a link to the scripture passage, as well as the five questions where you can enter your reflections or responses in the coming days if you, it doesn't have to be today, right? You don't have to fill things out today and feel like you have to hand it in. Um, this is something that you can be thinking about um, and, and filling out over the, the, the coming days. Um, I'm hoping everybody saw that, you know, there is that email that has the link to the Google document there. Feel free. Um, there are five questions there. You don't have to feel like you have to respond to all five questions or that your responses have to, you know, be complete sentences or thorough paragraphs. You can just be putting a couple of thoughts, right? Two, three, four words. You can also be reacting to what other people say. So like using the comment function or saying, oh, this is something to, you don't have to identify yourself at all. Um, there's nothing particularly sensitive necessarily in the material that's being shared, but um, it's not that you have to sort of say identify yourself as, as, as being the, the author of certain comments. So I'm noticing... So this is the, the handout is going to be something that we're going to be working with in the sort of 
hands-on activity as we get into the reflection period. So as I say, you're welcome to share as much or as little as you feel moved to. Today, I'll be taking notes um, during the service today or during the reflection time. Um, for those of you who are at home, if you have something that you'd like to share as well, if you want to just take it home and reflect on things, look at the scripture um, uh, on the, in, you know, in print there, um, reflect more on the questions, um, think about the discussions that you have in your small group, and then uh, enter something into the Google document um, during the, the coming week. That would be wonderful. All right, so now we will move forward here. And I invite you to turn with me first to our land acknowledgement, which is in Voices Together 878. <clears throat> And I'll be reading this out loud, and you can just follow along. That would be great. We acknowledge that we are gathering on the traditional territory of indigenous peoples. We affirm that settlers have specific responsibilities in the journey of reconciliation with indigenous peoples. We think here particularly of the Potawatomi, the Menominee, and the Ho-Chunk people who have occupied this land for generations long before Euro-American settlers came to this area. We give thanks to Creator and to those peoples who have stewarded this land for generations. We are grateful for the opportunity to live, work, and worship here as we witness the reconciling movement of the spirit and seek to live into right relations with our indigenous neighbors and all of creation. Amen. And if you are able, um, please stand for our first song, which is Voices Together, number 36. And we will sing all four, five verses.
We're now going to move into our time of confessing. And for that, I'd invite you to please open two voices together, 888. Please join me in prayer. Friends in Christ, God knows our needs before we ask, and in our asking prepares us to receive the gift of grace. We open our lives to God's healing presence, seeking peace with God and reconciliation with our neighbors. We are mindful not only of personal evil, but also of our communal sins of family, class, race, and nation. We confess to God whatever has wounded us or brought injury to others, that we may receive mercy and become for each other ministers of God's grace. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ prays for us. Know that you, we, are forgiven and be at peace. You can remain seated. And uh, this is a song that I think is probably going to be familiar to a lot of folks. It's Voices Together, number 163, Amazing Grace. And we will sing all four verses, of course.
Thank you. And I would invite you to stand up now or from your seat, but not mingle around and share visibly the peace of Christ with one another. Hi, Zoom friends. <laughs> we can't speak to you, so that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're moving into our time of hearing and responding, and um, we've got our third of four songs today. I don't know that we've sung this before in Milwaukee Mennonite, but it's definitely a familiar one, I think, to a lot of folks. It's a really, really beautiful African-American spiritual. And when Israel was in Egypt's land, and I think it fits kind of nicely with um, the focus today in our scripture, um, Deuteronomy 29, um, which does build on um, the events of the Hebrew Bible and specifically the, uh, the Exodus. So this is 193. Give me the notes. Yeah. And we'll sing the first. Thank you. Sing the first, second, and sixth verses of this.
Now, please turn to Voices Together number 911 for a brief pr prayer before we move into our engagement with Deuteronomy 29. 911. Let's all read this together. Living God, by the power of your Spirit, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ, amen. Last Sunday, Chris shared a reflection that built on previous sermons that he gave centered on how we may read the Bible. Chris's main point, if I understood it correctly, <laughs> is that the Bible is not so much an inventory of rules, some do's and a lot of don'ts, as it is a collection of stories. In an essay titled, How Can the Bible Be Authoritative?, the British theologian N.T. Wright has this to say about Bible as story. Story authority, as Jesus knew only too well, is the authority that really works. Throw a rule book at people's head or offer them a list of doctrines and they can duck or avoid it or simply disagree and go away. Tell them a story, though, and you invite them to come into a different world. You invite them to share a worldview, or better still, a God view. That actually is what, for example, the parables are all about. They offer, as all genuine Christian storytelling does, a worldview which, as someone comes into it and finds how compelling it is, quietly shatters the worldview that they were in already. Stories determine how people see themselves and how they see the world. Stories determine how they experience God and the world and themselves and others. Great revolutionary movements have told stories about the past and present and future. They have invited people to see themselves in that light and people's lives have been changed. If that happens at merely a human level, how much more when it is God, God's self, the creator, breathing through God's word? Again, that was a quote by the theologian N.T. Tom Wright. Now, our scripture for today is the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy, which is, and Deuteronomy is the final book of the Torah, a collection of five texts that are central to defining the identity of the Jewish people and their relationship with God. Now, Deuteronomy, this fifth book, consists for the most part of three sermons by Moses on the eve of the Jews' entry into the land promised to them by God after 40 years of wandering in the desert after their departure from Egypt. Chapter 29, the chapter that we're engaging with today, is essentially the third 
of these three sermons by Moses. The theme of which is described by a pastor and Bible commentator, David Guzik, as, quote, the renewal of the covenant. So these headings that I have, for example, in the handout, these are coming for the most part from this, uh, just the, the, the divisions um, of the scripture by this uh, pastor, David Guzik. Now, the consensus among Bible scholars is that the historical basis for much of the Torah is, frankly, pretty sketchy. Most question the identity of a single historical person named Moses and the historical reality of Jewish enslavement in Egypt and a subsequent return to their homeland, Israel, under the leadership of this single person named Moses. But, like Jesus' parables, the authority of the stories such as those told in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible is grounded not so much in their place in human history or whether they can be verified by outside sources or not, as what they say about God and God's relationship with humans. Some years ago, in a sermon that he gave, Ray, Ray Gingrich from our church, shared a quote that has stuck with me for many, many years, and I've used it in a lot of other contexts, not just simply here in church. And it's a quote about stories that is often attributed to Native Americans, but no one knows exactly where this comes from, which is kind of appropriate for the content. And this is what Bray said. This is many, many years ago. Some folks, and I don't know whether he repeated it, but I remember this very vividly from one sermon. And he said, I don't know whether this really happened, but I know that it's true. Right? I don't know whether this really happened, but I know that it's true. Right? Now, the power of Jesus' parables, for example, has little to do whether, say, there was a specific young man who left his specific family to lead a dissolute life, returning later to the warm embrace of that family, then it is about a larger message of love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. It really doesn't make a difference whether there was one single family or a number of families or bits and pieces were put together. The point is that the quote-unquote moral of the story, the message, is a true one. It's an important one. Now let's delve into Deuteronomy chapter 29. The way we're going to proceed is that I'm going to read it out loud, and then I'm going to ask you to discuss it in small groups. And you can just cluster together. Small group could be two it's not one. <laughs> it's going to be a two, three, four, however you want to kind of configure yourselves. But I'd say kind of a minimum of two. A pair is just fine. And I want you to, to, to discuss it. Just have a chat about it. We'll talk, we'll, I'll give you about 10 minutes. I'll time you. And then I want you to look also at those five questions at the end. And again, at the beginning of what I was talking about today, don't feel that you have to have a response to all five questions. Those are just the five questions that the editors of the Anabaptism at 500 Project have kind of given us to sort of think about things. If you want to just respond to one or two or part of one, whatever, that's, that's totally fine. But think about those questions. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to make some notes. And um, actually, Matthew, if you want to go ahead and start... a collection of a plate, we pass a box of pens and pencils <laughs> so that you can take some notes. And um, you can make notes 
um, in terms of like writing things down. You can, um, you know, maybe doodle a little bit. You can underscore passages, um, you know, like add a little arrow to a word or a phrase that you think is particularly important. Just feel free to mark it up however um, you feel inspired to. As I say, after about 10 minutes, we'll come back together and share what we've discussed. But I want you to think about this as a story, right? And this is a story, right, that is part of a larger story, which is the entire Bible. And these individual and larger stories are speak to us as Christians, as Christians in the Anabaptist tradition, as individual believers in various ways. In the same way that it really doesn't make a difference if we're thinking about, say, the, you know, the prodigal son, we're not connecting it to some sort of you know, particular um, uh, individuals in history, but we're thinking about the larger message. And in particular, because this is an Anabaptist Christian congregation, think about some sort of you know, basic um, aspects or emphases within our uh, spin on the Christian faith. So things having to do with, say, the authority of scripture, the priesthood of believers, um, the peace message. And then also one thing that I think might be sort of um, useful to think about is the, the, the actual reality of Anabaptist history as being essentially a group, groups of believers who have always been strangers and pilgrims, or at a very, very, at a minimum, members of a distinctive minority group, either spiritual, sometimes ethnic, depending, whatever. But wherever there have been or are Anabaptists today, they're never in the majority. Even go to a city like Winnipeg, Manitoba, which traditionally has the largest percentage of any community, especially urban area of Anabaptists. Anabaptists are still a minority group in Winnipeg, right? So think about this, you know, what in Deuteronomy 29 speaks to this sort of kind of minority identity and people that are have a history of emigration or migration, right? And moving from one place to another. So um, I will read this um, out loud, then I'll ask, invite you in your group that you, that you uh, form to take about 10 minutes to reflect on it. And again, the, the, the way that the, that the scripture is divided up here, these headings come from this Bible commentary by this man named David Guzik with a few little uh, spins by me. Just because it's a relatively longish passage, I think it's helpful to have some sort of signpost to divide things up. So what God has done for Israel, and then the first part, the covenant in the land of Moab, which again, titles from David Guzik. These are the words of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. Moses assembled all Israel, saying to them, You've seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt, to Pharaoh, his servants, and all his land, the great trials your eyes witnessed, those awesome signs and wonders. But until this very moment, the Lord hasn't given you insight to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. I've led you in the wilderness 40 years now. Neither the clothes on your back nor the sandals on your feet have worn out. Neither have you eaten bread nor drunk wine or beer during this time, so that you would know that I am the Lord your God. When you arrived here, Sihon, Heshbon's king, and Og, Bashan's king, 
marched out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took possession of their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half of Manasseh's tribe. So then keep the words of this covenant and do them so you can succeed in all you do. Right now, all of you are in the presence of the Lord your God. The leaders of your tribes, your elders, and your officials, all the Israelite males, your children, your wives, and the immigrants who live with you in your camp, the ones who chop your wood and those who draw your water, ready to enter into the Lord your God's covenant and into the agreement that the Lord your God is making with you right now. That means the Lord will make you his own people right now. He will be your God just as he promised you and just as he swore to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I'm not making this covenant and this agreement with you alone, but also with those standing here with us right now before the Lord our God, and also with those who aren't here with us right now. You know firsthand how we used to live in Egypt and how we passed right through the nations that you passed through. You saw the horrific things, the filthy idols of wood and stone, silver and gold that they had with them. Make sure there isn't anyone among you right now, male or female, clan or tribe, whose mind is turning from being with the Lord our God in favor of going to serve these nations' gods. Make sure there isn't any root among you that is sprouting poison and bitterness. When that kind of person hears the words of this agreement, they congratulate themselves, thinking, I'll be fine, even though I insist on being stubborn. This would cause something wet to dry up and become something like parched, like something parched. The Lord won't be willing to forgive that kind of person. Instead, the Lord's anger and passion will smolder against that person. Every curse written in the scroll will stretch out over them, and the Lord will wipe out their name from under the heavens. Out of all Israel's tribe, the Lord, tribes, the Lord will single them out for disaster in compliance with all the covenant curses that are written in this instruction scroll. Future generations, your children after you, or foreigners from distant lands will say, Look at all that land's plagues and the sicknesses that the Lord laid on it. Look at all its land burned by sulfur and salt, unsuitable for planting, unable to grow or produce any vegetation, as devastated as Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord devastated in anger and wrath. Indeed, all nations will ask, why did the Lord do this to the land? What led to this horrible, terrible display of anger? They will deduce. It was because those people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, their ancestors' God, which he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods, serving them and worshiping them, other gods that they hadn't experienced before and that the Lord hadn't designated for them. Then the Lord's anger burned against that land, and he brought against it every curse written in the scroll. The Lord ripped them off their land in anger, wrath, and great fury. He threw them into other lands, and that's how things still stand today.
The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The revealed things belong to us and to our children forever to keep all the words of this covenant. Well, please join, join me in prayer. Um, we'll turn to um, Voices Together 996. <clears throat> and you'll read the bold parts. Listening God, you hear our prayers before we speak, yet welcome our praying. Therefore, we come with confidence to lay our requests before you. We pray for Christians everywhere, for our denomination and congregation, for strength to persevere in faithfulness. We pray for the whole people of God. We pray for the nations of the world, for all leaders, and for those who make policy decisions. We pray for the well-being of our global community. We pray for the earth and all living creatures, for regions and species at risk, and for the sharing of resources. We pray for the wholeness of creation. We pray for those who are overcome by violence, for victims of injustice or oppression, and for those in poverty or pain. We pray for all who need healing and peace. We pray for those who endure trials, for those who are dying, and for those who mourn. We pray for all in need of comfort and hope. You have heard the prayers of your people, O God. We rest in the comfort of your care as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so now what we will do is turn to our last song, Voices Together 835. And this is a round. I think we'll just do it in two groups. So this will be folks on your right, my left will be group one. And then this will be group two here. Um, let's sing it three times through. Let's sing it one time together. So maybe they get a little complicated. We'll sing it in unison one time together. And then just watch me. <laughs> and then I will do it, wrap it up after about three sort of go-throughs like that. Can you give me a G, please? Oh, so let's sing it all together in unison, and then we'll do group one, group two. Go now. 